Good morning, everyone. Grab a seat. It's great to see you. Welcome in our courtyard. I hope you're not too cold outside and those online, wherever you're joining us. Great to have you with us. Cheers, mate. My name is Gare. I'm one of the pastors here. Good morning. How's it going? Anybody brave Topanga this morning? Anybody made it through? Did you all get the alarm this morning? No, was it just us? The rains are coming. Um, it's good to see you. My name is Gare. We are on a journey here at Vintage of becoming more like Jesus. I got a long way to go, and particularly around generosity. And so we, every week we take some time just to pray and reflect on what it means to be a generous people and to give our time, our talent, and our treasure to what God is doing in the world. And so thank you for those who are part of our community who go, great, we're going to help serve and give to see this church continue to bless others. There we go. There's the alarm for Topanga. Um, and, but we've been praying through various prayers to help shape our heart. And so I've got a new prayer this morning, which I'd love you us to pray through together as we come to give of our lives to what he's doing in the world. So I'd love you to close your eyes as I read this out. Let this shape our hearts to become a people like him. Heavenly Father, our generous provider, there is nothing I have that has not come from your hand. Every act of generosity on my part is only a response to the generosity with which you have already blessed me. I reject the image of success into which this world tries to shape me, an image defined by wealth, status, and power. Instead, I ask that you would remake me in your image, an image defined by generosity, humility, and servanthood. May I model my giving on the one who gave it all. And may others see in me a glimpse of your character, against which the riches of this world seem dull and worthless. Would you cultivate in me a spirit of, of contentment? Help me not to strive for more and more, but grow in gratitude for all the ways you have blessed me. Would you mold within me a generous heart, empowering me to give sacrificially, not with compulsion, but in joy and faith. Amen. 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 A bit of an update for you. Uh, just kind of family chat a bit. Uh, this year, we are really looking to continue to be the community God's called us to be in being a community for the exploring and the following. And Alpha started this last week, which is so exciting. We had like 400 people come on Alpha and exploring Jesus, which is wonderful. But we also want to grow deep in discipleship. And, and you may be here going, yeah, I want that too. And how are we going to do that? And so Johnny and I and John Mark and others are really all the time looking how we can go deeper in discipleship. And just to give you an update on a couple of those things. So focus uh, our weekend away together will be significantly around kind of discipleship on tough topics. Um, and we'll look at things that maybe are too big and complex to look at on Sundays. And so if you're thinking, when is Vintage going to talk about that? Well, a lot of it's going to be a focus. We're going to go deep into some pretty meaty topics there. And also when we look at who to speak and who to teach at Vintage, I'm always one mind on just bringing deeper discipleship to us. And so with that in mind, give you an update on who's kind of speaking in the next few weeks. Wonderful to have Bethany a couple of weeks ago, which is awesome. And then next week, uh, our friend Dr. Henry Cloud will be here next week, which I'm very excited about. Then I'll be preaching again, so sorry about that. And then 
Um, then Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, this really a season of um, rich, deep teaching. And so we've got two friends who are going to lead us through Lent for six weeks. The first two weeks is going to be uh, Tyler Staten from Bridgetown Church. He'll be down with us talking about discerning God's voice. And so that would be really rich. He's an incredible teacher. And so that would be wonderful. And then four weeks after that, it'll be um, our teacher in residence, John Mark Comer, will be teaching us for four weeks. And so um, get ready. Here we go. Deep dive time. So it'll be lots of fun. But we are always looking. How do we grow deep together in Jesus for the sake of others? And so we'll be looking at that. Alrighty, why don't you grab your Bibles and we're going to stand as we read God's Word together. If you don't have a Bible, there'll be one somewhere around you, maybe share. If you don't have a Bible at all, this is your gift. Uh, well, our gift to you, please take that. And we're looking at page 62 this morning, which is Exodus chapter 3. And we're still in Exodus chapter 3, um, if you've been with us a few weeks. So I can't get past it. It's unbelievable. Um, it takes me forever to read the Bible because I get stuck in these amazing passages. All right, page 62, top of the paragraph or the column number, the second column, and it says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And for those who weren't here last week, that phrase milk and honey simply means an amazing land that is great for both agriculture and livestock. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, well, what's his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Amen. Grab a seat, folks.
when we begin Alpha on Tuesday nights, we do this little exercise just to get to know each other in the group where we go around and answer this question. If it turned out that God existed, what one question would you ask? What one question would you ask? And there's always two questions that generally come up. And these two questions are, what is God doing about the suffering in the world? What is God doing about the suffering in the world? And we look across our city and see the pain and we see across the world the evil and the darkness and it, we go, what is God doing? And then the second question is, what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? Two great questions and we love exploring them on Alpha. And in this passage today, we see both of these questions come together. What is God doing about the suffering in the world? And what is our purpose in life? It begins with Moses going to a burning bush. We've looked at this for a few weeks now. It's one of the great theophanies of the Bible. A theophany is a, a kind of intense manifestation of God, an intense look into who he is. And we saw last week as Moses sees this theophany, this God in the bush, it begins with a relational call. Like God says, Moses, Moses, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. And God wants to have this intimate relationship with you. But as soon as he gets close, we see further into who this God is, and straight away we see a God who cares about the suffering in the world. A God who's not distant, a God who's not absent, a God whose heart breaks for the evil and the suffering and the pain in our world. He says this to Moses, he says, look, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. In other words, the omnipotent God who is ever seeing, ever knowing, he says, I, I see, I hear, and my heart breaks. I'm a God of love who's made this world out of my love and I see what humanity and evil has done to this world. I see it and I hear it every day and my heart breaks. There's a lot of mystery in the suffering question but one area that is not mysterious is God's own. God's own view of it. And he breaks his heart. So much so that he does something about it. He's not caring from a distant but passive. But he goes on to say to Moses, so therefore I have come down. I will rescue, he says. And I will bring them up out of this evil, out of this darkness, into a land where they will thrive. That God is a God who cares for what you're going through. He sees the pain of your life, our city, this world. And he is an active God who does something about it. He said, I've come. Now up until this time, Moses is probably listening to this going, brilliant, about time. You know, I mean, it's just, God, this is such good news because I tried like 40 years ago and I messed it up and someone needs this is so good that you finally come and you're going to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. This is so good. And six times Moses hears 
his, the voice of God say, I, I have seen, I have heard, I am brokenhearted, I have come down, I will rescue and I will bring them out. And no doubt Moses is going, yes! And he wasn't expecting the next line. So Moses, I'm sending you. It's like, woo, time out. I mean, literally, imagine that sharp left turn right there. God's going, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I care. I see. I'm brokenhearted. And I'm going, I've come down. This is the very reason I'm here, Moses. But I'm not just here to kind of tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to use you. God cares about the evil in this world, the pain that you experience. And he's not disinterested and passive. He wants to do something about it. And his answer is his people. His answer is his people. This is not what we expect. This is not what we sometimes hope for, but this is the pattern of how God has made humanity. We sometimes think, God, do something, but you're not using us. But the very pattern of creation is that God outworks his will in this world through humanity. If you think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we see it on the screen here. It says, then God said, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. He says, I'm creating you to do something. Made in my image is a vocational qualification. It's not characteristics of what we look like, it's how we are to live. Being made in the image of God is, as what N.T. Wright says, it's we are God's image in the world. We're kind of like an angled mirror that his will is reflected through us to all those around us. God has created us to be his image bearers, to be the outworkers of his will. It's therefore no surprise that whenever God then appears in these wonderful manifestations of glory, what theologians call theophanies, God is always doing the same thing giving us instructions. It's never just a coffee. It's always him going, I'm sending you out. Do you remember Abraham, Genesis 12? The world has been broken. God's perfect creation has been polluted by men and, uh, and the devil and it's all broken. And God meets in Genesis 12, Abraham. What's the first words he says to Abraham? He says, go. I'm choosing you and I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing to others. That through blessing you, you will start to be a blessing to those around you. In other words, I'm turning back the evil, replacing it with blessing, and I'm going to do that not by bypassing humanity, but through humanity. Abraham, go. Let's get going. We have a job to do. We then see Moses. Moses, Moses, come close. All right, let me bring you up to speed with what we're about to do. Isaiah, remember Isaiah chapter six? The prophet Isaiah is before 
a vision of God in the heavenlies and he sees the magnificence of God on the throne and the seraphim crying, holy, holy, holy. And immediately the voice of God comes to Isaiah, whom am I going to send? Isaiah goes, send me. See, when you meet God, the real God for who he is, you can't help but be thrust into mission. Because who he is. And it's who we were created to be. We see this in Jesus himself. God incarnate that sees the problems and wants to get rid of the root of evil and sin in the world. So just like Moses, God said to Moses, I've come down, I'm going to rescue, I'm going to bring them out. So Jesus, God incarnate, came down, rescued us to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness. But then he says, look, in John chapter 17, he says, Father, as you have sent me, so I'm sending my people to outwork my victory, to outwork the kingdom of God. When Jesus met his first disciples, do you remember Luke chapter five, the story of Peter fishing with his mates in the boat? They don't catch a thing. Jesus goes, hey, try over there. They go, mate, we've been trying, but all right, we'll try again. And then so many fish, the boats begin to sink and immediately Jesus says, follow me. Not that we can have coffee and you're gonna be your best you. He says, follow me and what? I will make you fishers of men. Come join me in what we were created to do is have a purpose, to bring my kingdom. Do you remember Paul, the apostle? He's killing Christians, he's opposing the church, and Jesus, a a theophany, a Christophany of Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he's blinded by the glory of Jesus, he's blinded, and he goes to this house and he's waiting to know what to do, and God calls to Ananias and says, go to that guy who has been persecuting Christians, because I have chosen him, he is my chosen instrument to do something, to preach my gospel to the Gentiles. Whenever there's a theophany, there's purpose. Whenever God shows up, he sends us out. That if you're looking to meet with God, have a real relationship with God, get ready because it's a vocation that God calls us into. We have a job to do. At the very heart of God is a mission. Christopher Wright, a great theologian of the Old Testament, writes this. He says, mission is not ours. Mission is God's. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. God is on the move. God cares for the injustice, the evil, the pain that we see in our city and around the world. He hears the cries every day. He sees the pain every day. His heart breaks every day And therefore he comes to his church and says, Moses, Moses, Gare, Gare, Sarah, Sarah, come close into relationship, but I'm bringing you close because I love you and we've got a job to do. The heart of our relationship with God is a mission. It's when we see the great revivals of church history 
where God pours out his spirit into the church. You think of, I'm a great reader of revivals, and you see these great revivals all the way through. Seasons of God just intensifying his presence with the church, whether it be the Welsh revival, the Hebridean revival of the early 1904s to six, and then you got the Zusa Street revival, and thereafter, the revivals even all on the beaches here and up and down um, in the valley. There's all sorts of revivals if you look at church history. Do you know what one common feature is? It wasn't endless praise meetings and then go home and watch Netflix. It was encounter the tangible presence of God and be sent out in mission. I mean, a friend of mine, there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which I had the privilege to be a part of in the UK in like the 90s. And it was like, all bets are off. I mean, God was just showing up. It was unbelievable. I remember a friend of mine was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and fell over. And you have different words for that. Um, slain in the Spirit, or whatever you want to call it. And I said, hey, what happened, man? What was going on? Like, I'm Because if you know me, I'm kind of cynical and skeptical by nature. And it's like, hey, legit, legit, you know? <laughs> what was going on? You know? And whenever, whenever Eddie prayed for me in that whole time, I like took the like, defensive posture. Like, you're not... <laughs> You're not pushing me over type thing. Um, but I said to my friend, legit? He went, no, dude, I fell out and the Holy Spirit just I, like crushed me. And then when I was on the floor, I had this vision of God, like the angels flying up and down from the clouds over the country of Rwanda. And literally he said to me, so I guess I'm going to Rwanda. And he did. He joined missions and went. You see, when you meet God and hear his broken heart, it's not just to say, I love you. It's to say, I love them. Will you take my love to them? It's the missional heart of God. Whenever God shows up, he sends his people out on mission. But what does that mean for you and for me? What does that mean for you and for me? What does God want me to do? In other words, I can't do everything. I mean, I get, where do I start? And there's so many areas that I, we don't have time right now to go, how do you discern God's call on your life and things like this? I would just simply say this one little tip. Start with where you feel the broken heart of God. Just start there. Because you would be crushed if you felt all the brokenness of this world. You'd be crushed. God feels it every day, and so he goes, I'm going to share a piece of my broken heart with Moses. Moses, I, I feel the brokenness of my people. Do you feel it too? And Moses would have said yes, because he already tried and failed 40 previous years ago in his own strength to start a revolution in Egypt. And there was this connection of God's heart and Moses' heart. Let's do something about it. Where is God sharing his broken heart with you? Where do you feel God's pain for those in injustice? As you look across our city and see the inequality, the greed, the poverty, 
systemic issues, you've got racial injustice, you've got children at risk, you've got sex trafficking, you've got economic disparities, you've got marriages and parenting and crisis, all the fostering, and there's all these crises over there. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go, where do I start? Start with God. Where are you showing me your broken heart? For me, it's always been really clear that it's been, my heart breaks for those who don't know Jesus. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) And that's mainly because I was one. I was one. I'd been burnt by church. I didn't like Christians, but it was an annoying pursuit of God. I needed a safe place for that. That's why we do Alpha. That's why why I'm committed to providing a compelling, intellectually satisfying environment for people to discover Jesus. But that may not be you. I often think of mission in four zones, and one of them may be where you're feeling, oh, that's where my heart is. That's where I feel God's heart. It could be in telling others. It could be mercy and justice ministries as you cross, see across the city and see the brokenness of our city, the houseless, the mental health problems we have the poverty disparity problems, the, the pains, you can name it. You can, this is one of the leading cities in the world for sex trafficking. All these things are there. And you may go, oh, that's where I, that's where I hear the heart of God breaking. Could be vocational ministry, which means just in your everyday life as a mum, a dad, um, an industry professional, an actor, a singer, even a lawyer. Um, you can start to feel, I used to be one, don't worry, I'm not getting at lawyers. Uh, You think, oh Lord, I just feel that we want to renew culture through this industry, that we can be a force of good and kingdom renewal through my profession. Could be church renewal. Oh Lord, my heart breaks for the church, that she would be all that she can be and reject just the the awful things that the church has done, but we believe the church can be the bride of Christ. Whatever it may be, You will, and it could change over time, but begin by saying, oh God, break my heart with what breaks your, but but just give me one bit. (laughs) Don't crush me. (laughs) You may already now know, as I'm saying this, yeah, that's me. But at times in my life where I go, I just don't know, and maybe you don't know, and so I'd invite you in worship and in prayer to go, God, show me. Open my eyes. Let me feel your heartbeat as you did to Moses, that I may start to go, huh, that's what you think about suffering. What's my purpose in life? Maybe they're two halves of the same question. Where you feel the broken heart of God, maybe he's going, come with me. And let's bring the light into the darkness. Now Moses, like all of us, had some issues with this. Because it was like, you know, that sounds great, God, but we are experts at saying but to God. I mean, straight away he said, He gave four excuses. The first are, maybe you resonate with them. He said, look, I'm too unworthy, I'm unimportant, and I'm unskilled for this job. It's overwhelming. You know, he says, 
Look, first of all, he says, God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I? He said, then he says, but what if they don't believe me? I mean, it's a crazy story. Why would Pharaoh believe me when he says, when I say, hey, I saw God in a bush and he told me just to come and take the, Egypt, the Israelites out. You're cool with that, right? It's like, it's not gonna work. Then he says, well, I'm unskilled. I've, I've got a stammer. I mean, I just, I'm not up for this. There's so many ways that we can say to God, I'm not up for this. This challenge is too big. You're breaking my heart for the mental health crisis in our city. I, I, who am I? You're breaking my heart for this nation. Who am I? I don't have what it takes. Each time God says in various ways the same thing. Oh, well, what's interesting, what he doesn't say is, no, mate, believe in yourself, you've got this. I mean, he didn't disagree with Moses. He didn't say, oh, come on, mate, believe in yourself. Find the giant within. <laughs> mm -mm. Do you know what he said to him? I will be with you. I'll be with you. See, this is the joy of a purpose with God, is that he calls us to something that we could never do in our own strength. But with him, we see giants fall. We see his kingdom come. I mean, God gave me an analogy for this years ago, which helped me in my own sense of inadequacy for what God wanted. I've said all those things which Moses said. I remember this analogy that God gave me. He, he took me back to this time when we lived in Vancouver, Canada. You've heard the story many times, but maybe one of you haven't, so let me tell it again. Which is, uh, in Vancouver, Canada, when we lived there, we weren't allowed any electric or gas-powered lawnmowers. And due to environmentally friendly things. And so the only lawnmower you were allowed were these really heavy rotary blade things that you pushed, and it was hard work. And I'd let it, the grass grow for a while, and it was high. And so I didn't know what to do except, oh, I've got to mow the lawn. This is brutal. And it was hot outside. I couldn't put it off any longer. And just as I was going outside to mow the lawn, um, my daughter, Amy, who was about three or four at the time, ran outside in her pink onesie and said, Daddy, Daddy, can I mow the lawn with you? I went, no, it's going to be hard enough, never mind like a four-year-old with me. This is, no, and I remember thinking, I'm such a bad dad. This is awful, and she like burst into tears, and my wife said, what are you doing, right? I said, oh, okay, all right. Okay, Amy, come on, come over here. And I, I said, hop on my feet, and then hang on to the handlebars, and so she's like this, outstretched. And I said, look, I'll, I put my hands on her hands so she wouldn't fall into the rotary blades. Um, <laughs> and her little feet were on my feet. Don't report me right now by this. Um, and, and I said, look, here's the deal. We're going to do this together, right? She goes, yeah, we'll do it together. I want to mow the, the lawn with you. Great, we'll do it together. So great. What will happen is when I, my hands are on your hands, when I feel you push, I'll push. And we'll do it. And together, we'll, we'll move along. Now, when, if I hear you stop and pull back, I'll stop too. Sure, okay, Dad. And I could feel her hands squeeze. And so on top of her hands, I pushed and we started to move. And then I, I felt her like pull back. And I pulled back. I went, look, Amy, 
We're doing it together. You push. So you're okay. I said, she pushed, and I pushed. About 20 hours later, <laughs> we, were, we mowed the lawn together. And she ran inside and went, Mum, Mum, I mowed the lawn with Dad. And I was thinking, well, technically, really, did you do it? I mean, I was thinking, but here's the thing. We did mow the lawn together. And I said, like God says to all of us, I could do this by myself. But that's not what a father is about. I'm a father, which means I love my kids. I created you to do it together. So hop on up. Now, I, we know the problem. The grass is too high. The machine's too heavy. Evil is too rampant. Of course it is. But guess what? All we have to do is squeeze, and we have the sovereignty of God behind us. The power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. We, the point is, we can't do it. That's the very point. But the point is, he can, and he's with us. God has given you a piece of his heart that is way beyond you. But with him, we can see injustice fall. Because he is all-powerful. Now, there was one more excuse which Moses has, which I think sometimes we all have. And that is later on. He says, I think we've got it on the screen. He says, look, I may be unskilled. I may be kind of all these things. But he says, finally, he says to God, oh God, will you just send someone else? He was unwilling. At the, in my heart I'm going I get it Moses but I'm also thinking dude watch out <laughs> and actually we should watch out and God up until this point has been saying to Moses I get it come on I'm like a dad hop on up we'll do this together my power will go with you don't worry we've, I've got this and don't worry I'll give you the words to say hey mate don't worry I get it I get it I get it that you can't do it that's totally fine but I can let's do it together but now he hears him say actually please send someone else and in verse 14 guess what God's response is then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. His anger. I get it. And yet I feel I'm Moses. You know, I get it when God every day hears the cries of racial injustice in our city and we go, oh, I'm just busy. I get it when God sees the pain of children at risk and we say, oh, I'm still watching season two. I get it when God sees the pain of the nations and the world and he sees darkness and evil having its way and the church of Jesus Christ is going, oh, can we just study the Bible a bit more because that's the end goal as opposed to his kingdom come, his will be done. I get it, but I'm Moses. And I think sometimes when we come to God's word, it's okay to feel the rebuke. 
Because if you're anything like me, I say I'm unwilling way too much. And God wants us to be in no doubt what his response to that is. He loves us, but his anger can burn against us. Because he hears the cries day in, day out. He hears the pains day in, day out. He sees behind the closed doors we can't see. He hears the, the cries of children at risk going, will someone come and help? He sees the crisis in the foster and adoption areas of our city. He sees human trafficking all the time. He sees the abuse of pimps and others, the fentanyl addiction. He sees it all. And he's coming to us and going, Gare, Gare, Sarah, Sarah, Jim, Jim. I hear, I see, do you see too? Let's go. I tell you, oh Lord, forgive me when I've said I'm unwilling. I love Moses' response was <laughs> a broken obedience. It was pretty feeble. Like in verse um, 18, I love this. It says, Moses, in response to this, goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and says to him, well, will you let me go back to Egypt to see if any of them are still alive? It's like this. All right, then. Let's see if they're still alive. It wasn't a... Oh my gosh, I've seen God. We're going to deliver the people out of Egypt. We're going to come back to this mountain and worship. He was like, he was like, still, oh my gosh, God, this is going to cost me everything. Oh my gosh, this is going to be inconvenient. Oh my gosh, this is going to readdress all my priorities. Oh my gosh, God, all right, I'll go. Whew. But I'm, it felt like he had a mustard seed type of faith. But that's all God needs. It's just, come on. Let's go. Verse 20 is almost hilarious, the picture of him leaving. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. I mean, how ridiculous. That the king of Pharaoh is going to see a man and his kids on a donkey and give over the people of Israel. But Moses said, you know what? The staff of God is with me. The staff of God is with me. It's not about me. It's about him. My shepherd's staff is going to be used. Now you may go to me, okay, yeah, but I don't have a shepherd's staff of God when I go into this, this place. I don't have that. I don't have that. Moses had that. He said, you're absolutely right. You don't have the shepherd's staff with you. You have something better you have the shepherd himself saying, I will always be with you. Where is God breaking your heart? And in answering that question, maybe, maybe, you're finding your purpose. Let's stand together. Love you just to close your eyes. We're gonna just come to communion in a minute, but just close your eyes and just respond to God with what he's saying to you. And Father, I pray as we just come before you now that we may hear your broken heart and see it as Moses did. That we see we are not here for leisure, pleasure, treasure. 
We are here to use what you've given us to bring healing, to bring life. In your name, in your spirit. So begin to show us now. Amen.